You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. We're in the book of 1 Thessalonians, because that's where we're going for the next eight weeks. And the cadence of this will be, I'll do a verse, and then we'll kind of talk through it. So if you got your Bible, you're welcome to go ahead and open it up to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. If you don't have it, man, bring it next week, because this is one where you're going to want to highlight and write and take notes and all that kind of stuff. But let me ask a few questions, just to kind of get a gauge of, of where we're at today with the people in the room. How many of you guys drink coffee? Just raise your hand. Okay, great. How many of you like cold coffee? Okay, Really? That many people? That's crazy. Okay. Well, maybe I need a different sermon. Oh, how, many, how many of you like hot coffee? Okay, how many of you like your coffee to just be kind of lukewarm, neither hot nor cold? Oh, you got a problem. We need to talk about it. All right, let's try a different one. Let's, how many of you would like for someone uh, to talk to someone else about you and to say that you are excellent? Right? If you'd like for someone to say you're excellent, raise your hand. How many of you would like for someone to say you're average? Oh, okay. I think we should aim higher. Okay. Um, let's, let's, let's try one more. Okay. How many of you have, oh, don't, don't, you don't have to raise your hand because some of you will be left out. Have you ever invited someone to church? Okay. You don't have to raise your hand. When you did it, did you say, hey, why don't you come check out my average church? Did you say, I've got a church? I mean, it's not, you know, it's okay. Come check it out. Is that what you did? I got a funny story along these lines, which is not in the script, but it's a good one. And if you're in the room today, I hope this embarrasses you. So I was at the hardware, I was at the hardware store one day. This is a true story about Average Church. And uh, there was a, a guy in front of me, and he was wearing a gray shirt, okay? And I know the people at the hardware store, but I was behind this guy, and I had a hat on. I was dirty because I'd been doing, I'm probably farming. And so, um, so I'm behind the guy in line. The lady at the, at the cashier's desk said, oh, that's a gray shirt you know, shirt. Do you like that church? And the guy said, well, the music is phenomenal, but the pastor's just okay. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. I was just reaching for something. He's still recovering from his wound in the back of his head. Um, The point of this is average isn't all that inspirational, is it? Mediocrity is not all that exciting. Average, mediocre, these things don't inspire us. What inspires us is excellence. All right, we like, I've been watching the Creed movies. Y'all ever seen Creed, any of those movies? All right, Michael B. Jordan, he's, he's right. And so, like, if that dude was an average boxer, it wouldn't be a very exciting movie, would it? But he's excellent. That's why these movies are good. And that's why we watch sports. You know, we want to see things that are excellent in the world. Because when we see average effort or mediocre effort, we're just not inspired by that. Guys, I'm going to tell you, today we added the 830 gathering back. 830 came early, okay? Came early. I got up at like, I was up at 3 a.m. it felt like. But I still felt like when I was in that moment of 830 when I was sharing a message, I still had to bring my best. Because I think we still wanted excellence. And so whatever the situation is... Average is not inspirational. Mediocre never inspires anyone. And so we're opening up this book of, of 1 Thessalonians right here. And in this, you guys are going to see that Paul is going to talk about what makes a church excellent, especially in this first chapter. Paul is going to talk about what makes a church stand out and what makes a church different, what makes a truly excellent church. And it may not be what you expected it to be. And so my hope is that we use this letter of the Bible the way we use the whole Bible. We know, number one, that the the book of 1 Thessalonians was not written to us. 
Okay, we're reading someone else's mail. It was written to the church in Thessalonica. Uh, no, none of the books in the Bible were actually written to us, but they were all written for us, that we would use these to learn. And, and so I hope that we take this book of the Bible and use it as a mirror to see in ourselves what needs to be changed. That maybe God wants to speak to us through this letter, and maybe he wants to correct us, or maybe he wants to push us, or maybe he wants to encourage us, but that we would open our minds and our hearts and allow God to speak to us through this letter about what excellence could mean for us, especially as it relates to our life here. And so let's do a little background real quick on this church. Paul plants the church in Thessalonica after he goes. He's doing missionary journeys, and he goes to Philippi first, and then he goes to Thessalonica. And we believe that this letter to the Thessalonians is the earliest of all Paul's letters. We think this is either number one or number two, the earliest of Paul's letters that he wrote. And so he goes to Thessalonica, and he begins to plant this church, and immediately he makes all the Jewish people mad. And the town has got Jews and, and Romans, so Jews and Gentiles. He makes all the Jewish people mad because he says this Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he is the Savior, that he is the King of the universe. And so the Jews don't like him because they, they don't believe that. And so he's out with the religious elite. Then he makes the Romans mad because he says you should have allegiance to no one other than Jesus Christ. Our allegiance is not to Caesar, it's to Jesus. So the Romans don't like him, so the church people don't like him, the government people don't like him, and now he's got to bring a church together. It's not an easy thing to do. Not only that, dude only has three weeks to do it. He's chased out of the city in three weeks, and he runs to a city called Berea. They chase him out of there. He runs to Corinth. He's got three weeks to plant a church in a world where no one likes anybody in that church. That's not, God, I wasn't there when grace was started, but some of you were. And the first, I'm guessing three weeks would not have been a sufficient amount of time to get this thing up and going. It takes some effort. And for us, in the, most of us, we're in the Bible Belt, right? You might have a friend who makes fun of you for church. Uh, matter of fact, you might be here just to make fun of your friend for coming. You're like, I followed you here to make fun of you. That's possible. But none of you are scared to go to church, I don't think. I mean, you're not like in fear of your job or in fear of your life. I mean, it's pretty easy for the most part for us to come to church. Not these people. This is a difficult world. No one who joins this Thessalonian church is doing it because they called the pastor and said, hey, tell me what programs you have that will benefit me. They're not in it for them because it's going to cost them. They're in it because they've given their life to Jesus the Christ. And so we're going to just sort of take this verse by verse and go through this first chapter and just sort of see what happens. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. Okay, so let's see a couple things right here, just jumping in. So Paul is writing this letter, and he says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. You notice he doesn't give any other descriptors about himself. Sometimes when Paul writes a letter, he'll say, I'm the apostle, or he'll say, I'm a bondservant of Christ. He'll give an identifier. But here, because this letter we believe is so fresh, and these people know, all he says is me, Paul. He's just going by one name. There's only like three people who can do that. LeBron, Adele, and Paul. The, the, those are the options. Outside of that, you probably should give a little information about yourself. LeBron, Adele, and Paul, and I guess Silas and Timothy. So he introduces himself, and he says, the church that's in Christ. And when he says the church, we got to understand this too. He's not talking about church as we understand it here today. He's not talking about a building where there's air conditioning. They would never say we go to church. 
Because what Paul and these guys believe is church is not an air-conditioned building where we come once a week to sing. He believes church is called the ecclesia or this body of human beings who've been set apart for a sacred work inside of the kingdom of God. That this church is chosen people who are laying down their lives for the purpose of following Christ. Church wasn't something they did, it was who they were. And so Paul says to the church, and what he's saying is to my persecuted minority people in Thessalonica. And then he says, grace and peace to you. Um, There was an old Jewish saying, and the saying was mercy and peace. And Paul took that saying and changed it just a little bit. Because he wanted Christians to never forget it is grace that has brought us to Christ. Because let me tell you, and none of y'all will know this because it doesn't happen here, but in some other churches, when Christians forget about that part, they get a little snooty. Right? They get a little uppity. Um, When you forget that it is grace alone that has saved your soul and not your perfection or your ability to keep all the rules, we tend to look down on other people. And when we lose the grace, we lose the peace. It is the grace that brings us peace. And so he says, grace and peace to you. All right, now, uh, verse 2. This is, this is where it starts to get really good. He says, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired in hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. First thing I want you all to see is this. Paul has a lot of things going on, okay? He's a busy man. I know you're busy. Paul is busy. Uh, he's, he's, getting, he's shipwrecked, and he's getting beaten, and he's getting thrown in prison. All these things are going on in his world, and this is such a good word, just this part. There are so many reasons for Paul to stop being thankful, so many reasons. He's surrounded by death and all this horror. So many reasons. But Paul somehow chooses to focus on those things which are beautiful and praiseworthy and lovely. And so all day long, he's walking around. He's been in prison and on shipwrecks. And he's just going, God, I'm so thankful for you. He's not thankful for the situation he's in. But in his situation, he is finding things to be thankful for. And that's why Paul can rise above things in a way that's so excellent. And so admirable. And so Paul, it doesn't mean he's in his prayer closet all day long. He just, no matter what he's doing, he's in a constant state of thankfulness for what God has done in this little church. And then in in verse 3, and this is where we're going to spend the majority of our time. He says, we remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, these three things. I think we're going to see this is what makes a church excellent. These three things right here. And and this is where Paul is going to just sort of camp out. I think he's making such an important statement. In this church, we practice uh, communion and we practice baptism. And maybe you come from a place that sees them a little different. But we see these things as sacraments, meaning this. There is something mysterious going on with communion and baptism. We're going to do communion today. We believe there's something. We're not just doing it because God told us to. We believe there's something mysterious happening in real time. And so what we believe is that communion and baptism, these things are outward and visible signs of an inward and spiritual grace. That when we're doing communion, we've got this juice and this bread. It's an outward sign, but what's really beautiful is what's happening inside of us. And what Paul is saying is the church that is excellent, there should be beautiful inward things of faith and love and hope. But those beautiful inward things should manifest themselves outward in work, labor, and endurance. And what we're going to see Paul say is, if you're not exhibiting the outward things, then maybe it's time to get back on your knees with Christ about the inward things. 
And I, I think what he's going to say is that people shouldn't have to drive by this building and go, man, I wonder what's going on in there. It should be evident by the people who leave this place every week. And so the first thing he says is your work produced by faith. Your work produced by faith. Right? Your, your, your work, and it happens because of your faith. You're doing things because of what you believe. We don't believe that, that work save you, but we believe that save people work. Y'all know how my mom's right out here. You know how long my mom had to tell people, no, he's got a good heart. <laughs> they were seeing what I was doing, and so they were questioning my heart. But my mother would say, oh, he's got a good heart. I didn't have a good heart. Nope. My heart was corrupted. And if there are no good things coming from your fountain, then your fountain may be dirty water. And that's it. we, we got we to get our minds around that. You don't, Paul's not saying, I feel you. He's saying, I see you. And Paul didn't have to be God to see their faith. He didn't have to know their heart because he could see what they were doing. What's in your heart will eventually come out one way or the other. And he says, your faith, which produces your work, produced by faith. Then he says, your love, your labor prompted by love. Your labor prompted by love. So they're loving people. And how do we know they're loving people? Because they're doing things. How do we know they love God and love people? Because of what they're doing. It's not because they have a t-shirt that says love God and love people. It's not because, you know, they're hearting things on Facebook or whatever. They are doing things that demonstrate their love. And th there, there's an old saying. Actually, I don't think it's old. I think it's from Andy Stanley. It can't be that old. But gratitude not expressed will always be received as ingratitude. Love not expressed will never be received as love. Right? Y'all ever heard this? I told you I loved you on the wedding day. <laughs> Men, that's not sufficient. Okay? Love, true love, agape love, the kind of love that saved the world, the kind of love the spirit of the living God inhabited us to, to exhibit is a love in action. The last thing he says is your, your endurance inspired by hope. Your endurance inspired by hope. He said, it wasn't easy to be a Christian in this church. They are suffering. Their friends are being persecuted. They're dealing with all, yet they endure. They continue to grow. They continue to thrive. Guys, they didn't have anything we have here, yet they endured. And, and so I believe what Paul's saying, what we should take from this is, I love excellence in programming. I love that we have a great youth ministry, great student ministry. I love that we have great kids ministry. I love that we have a great women's ministry, a great men's ministry. I love that our worship is excellent. I believe it is. Our worship is excellent. I try my best to give you all the best. I can, but the worship and the preaching and the programs, none of those things should be the headline of this building. What should be the headline is transformed people living transformed lives. That's what Paul is saying. We found excellence in the wrong places. Too many people in this room have found excellence on this stage alone and not in their own lives. And so it's time to think, what should excellence look like in my life? How should I live a life that's excellent before the king? I read as I was preparing for this a commentary and it said seven churches, 70 churches. 70 churches every week close their doors 70 churches every week go out of business. And my first thought about that was, man, that's sad because those are our brothers and sisters, right? And y'all, we don't care what denomination they are because we don't really understand denomination or know what denomination we are. But I know there's, it's a whole thing. 
But that doesn't matter to us, right? What matters is our brothers and sisters are, are, are locking their doors. And so my, my first response was sadness. My second response was, okay, God, perhaps it's addition by subtraction. Because if churches aren't, aren't doing the business they were created to do, it's probably better if they go out of business. It'd probably be better if some churches shut their doors. If we can't get this thing right and we can't commit to excellence before the king, then it might just be better for him to lock the door. That's right, Tommy. <laughs> Amen. Verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know, this is so good, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so verse 4, verse four let's go back to verse 4 if you don't mind. Verse 4 says something really interesting. For we know, brothers and sisters, that God loved you, that he has chosen you. Okay, some of you haven't grown up in church, so you don't know anything about the nonsensical debates that we have about words like chosen in Paul's writings, so I'm not even going to waste any time on it. But this is not a deep theological statement about predestination or some other word you, you read on the internet, right? It's none of those things. This is a very simple statement. We know that you belong to God because we see what you are doing. It's not a mystery. We know that you belong to God because our gospel came to you not simply with words but with power. And he's, he's like, listen, you, you're doing things. We, we, we get it. We see it. And so we know that you're God's people because of how you're living as God's people. And then verse 7. And you so and so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turned from to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Why is this church being seen in the world? What are people talking about when they talk about this church? They are talking about transformed lives. They're talking about people who've turned from idols and turned towards God. I'm sure there's a mention somewhere on some, about how great Paul's preaching was. I'm sure there's a mention somewhere about how great the programs were. But the primary thing that made this church excellent was humans like you turning from their old lives, embracing a new life, and living different in the world out there. Guys, you know how many people say this, and they come to me and say, man, I really need to bring my friend to church. I need to bring my friend to church. You don't need to bring your friend to church. You need to be the church for your friend to see. You need to let your friend see the change of Jesus Christ in you. And then bring them here. But the, what, what, what if the only example of Jesus Christ that your neighborhood had was you? What if you were the only example your neighbors would ever see of Jesus Christ? Are we going to reach your neighbors? Guys, it's time for us to say is mediocrity inspiring? Is mediocrity inspiring anyone? It's halfway. It's halfway the story that I want to report to the king one day. Because I think this is every part of your life. If you're going to work tomorrow and you're showing up and you're just doing the bare minimum, stop it. You're making us look bad. Go in and work hard. I always say this. You're going to be a bear, be a grizzly. You know what I mean? Like, do it excellent. I, I normally said that in probably times that weren't as holy as what I'm getting at right now, but like, 
go. You are the example to the world of Christ. You, you are, and we talk about, you are the church. And the way people will see that this place is, people that drive by here, man, I wonder what's going on. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. I'm telling you, I pray for a day when they don't have to wonder because they met you. And they remembered who you used to be. And they see who you are. Story after story in the Bible, Jesus heals somebody, and it's a blind person. He can suddenly see again. They're like, man, there's something different about you. And they're like, yeah, I encountered Jesus. I think that's all God's asking for. And maybe you're like, man, Tommy, my life is messy. You don't want me to be the example. Listen, every one of Paul's letters is written to rooms full of messy people. And if you have a messy life, you're in the right place. I promise you. Because every single one of us in this room, myself included, has dealt with a little bit of mess. But the comeback, the comeback, the repenting, the turning from your mess, the healing from your mess, that may be what inspires your neighbor to seek Jesus Christ with their whole heart. Don't give up now because your life is messy. It won't always be that way. This is who we're called to be. And isn't this what we want? A church that inspires, a church that transforms. Verse 10, uh, Paul ends this with, he says, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Like, Paul, why'd you have to talk about wrath? We were having a pretty good time. At least I was. I, I, I think we have to remember, guys. Christ is coming back again. He's coming back again. And Paul had three weeks to teach these people stuff. And in that three weeks, he thought it was important enough to go ahead and mention, hey, the king is coming back again. Jesus made an interesting statement when he was walking with his disciples one day. He said, I'm coming back in your generation. And I think they thought he was talking just to them, but I think he was talking to all of us. Because I think he wants us all to think he's coming back in our generation. I I will say this. And then we're going to take communion because we cannot do anything God is asking us to do without the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. But let me say this. You are not guaranteed tomorrow in this world. None of us are. There is no guarantee. What is guaranteed is there is a God who deeply, deeply loves you. His son died on the cross to save you and his spirit desires to live in you. What is guaranteed is that you can begin to have a changed life. What is guaranteed is that you don't have to be today who you were yesterday. If you're waiting for tomorrow, my friends, it's not guaranteed. But it is a guarantee that God so loved the world that he gave his son for you that you might have eternal life. And so I don't do a lot of altar calls. This this is not, I should do a more, I know, because you all email me telling me. So here it is. I'm not, this is not a threat, and I don't want want anybody to get scared. I don't ever want you to give your life to Jesus out out of fear. But if you're waiting for tomorrow... I suggest trying it today. The king of the universe desires to give you the life you were created for. Tomorrow and guarantee you. So let's live it today. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.